This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of murder, gun violence, mental health, male genitalia, surgery, and sexuality that may be disturbing. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Society tends to put doctors on a pedestal. And atop that pedestal, we place another pedestal, lifting up the specialist. When your regular doctor can't cure your ails, they refer you to an expert who can. But no matter how high, any pedestal can be toppled. A competent, life-saving doctor can be rendered suddenly impotent in the face of illness, injury, or a patient with a gun. Doctors have human bodies too, bones, muscles, sinew, and just like their patients, innocent doctors can be murdered. For the next four weeks, Medical Murders is flipping the script, examining four cases where doctors trained to save lives were the ones who needed saving. This is Medical Murders Killer Patients, a Spotify original from Parcast. Most doctors uphold the Hippocratic Oath, swearing they will do no harm. However, there is no such oath for their patients. And while healthcare professionals are usually the criminals on this show, sometimes it's the patients who abuse their power. I'm Alastair Murden, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper, MD. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Kipper, and I'm here to assist Alistair with some medical insight into our case of Stanwood Elkus, a little twist for our Medical Murders podcast, where the hunter and the hunted switched roles. You can find episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. This is episode one of our four-part Killer Patients series. 
Over the next four weeks, we'll examine four different crimes and the many reasons killers might target medical professionals. Today, we're covering Stanwood Elkus, a retired barber who lived in Southern California. In 2013, he shot urologist Dr. Ronald Gilbert. Elkus claimed it was revenge for a botched surgery, but Dr. Gilbert wasn't his surgeon. Today, we'll try to understand what really led to this cold-blooded murder. All this and more coming up. Stay with us. January 22nd, 2013. Stanwood Elkus used the bathroom once again as he packed for the doctor's office, hate burning through him. As a 75-year-old man, his doctor's appointments were almost as frequent as the urination he complained about. But this appointment was different. In his backpack, along with his MapQuest directions and his medications, Elkus packed a 45 caliber Glock 21. He'd spent the past two months learning to shoot. Bag packed and bladder emptied, Elkus hopped in his car. He made the 55-mile drive from his home in Lake Elsinore to the urologist's office in Newport Beach, California. Elkus parked and walked past palm trees into the swanky office, located in a spacious medical complex just a couple blocks off the beach. Once inside, Elkus calmly approached the surgery coordinator, Lisa. He asked to see Dr. Gilbert. She asked for his name. He gave her a fake. After a few minutes, Lisa apologized she couldn't find him in her records. She looked the elderly man up and down, then excused herself. In the back office, Lisa warned Dr. Gilbert she had a bad feeling about a walk-in patient. She suggested Dr. Gilbert avoid the waiting room for a while. Then, Lisa plastered on a smile and returned to the front desk. She tried to brush Elkus off politely. There were no walk-ins available today, but he could make an appointment for next week. Elkus was full to bursting with anger. But if there really was no room to fit him in, he'd take that appointment next week. Lisa asked his name to put it in their calendar. Elkus spelled out a fake, Alan Gold, and left the urologist, the weight of the gun in his backpack thumping against his lower back as he walked out. I sympathize with Lisa here. I definitely wouldn't want a patient like Stanwood visiting my office. Unfortunately, it can be really difficult sometimes to differentiate between strange and potentially harmful behavior. I think Lisa did a good job here, considering the situation, and there's no way she could have known what was bubbling up inside Stanwood's head. Generally, if a patient is disrespectful or out of line, it's completely appropriate and legal to ask them to leave. On the other hand, a medical practice can't ethically deny someone who claims to be in need of medical care, so giving an unruly patient the boot first requires a referral. 
You can direct them to their county medical association's website, for example, where they can find another doctor or clinic. If a patient refuses to leave after this or is verbally or physically threatening at any point, it's time to get the police involved. It's tricky because feeling creeped out by someone can be telling, but there needs to be something more substantial to warrant a 911 call. So once again, given the circumstances, I think Lisa handled this very professionally. One week later, on January 28, 2013, Stanwood Elkus prepared for the appointment he'd made as Alan Gold. That day, he told his neighbors he'd be gone. Inside his home, he left out written instructions to pay the landscaper who worked on his rental properties. It's unclear who the instructions were for, but it appeared Elkus didn't plan to return for some time. Then he packed his backpack, drove to the coast, and checked in under the fake name from last week, Alan Gold, here for his mid-afternoon urology appointment. When Lisa, the surgery coordinator, asked to check his ID, he apologized. He'd left it in the car. Somehow, he convinced the staff to let it slide. It may have helped that the balding 75-year-old in front of her appeared weak, like it'd be difficult for him to walk all the way to his car and back again. Once again, the coordinator excused herself, informing Dr. Gilbert his first post-lunch appointment had arrived and, quote, he's still creepy. Meanwhile, the medical assistant, Gemma, took Elkus into exam room number two and prepared him for his appointment with Dr. Gilbert. Urologists specialize in the genitourinary system or the organs involved with urination and reproduction. On a typical day, they'll do genital exams, prostate examinations through the rectum, and imaging studies on the bladder, kidneys, testicles, and prostate. They also treat sexual dysfunction and examine blood samples focused on kidney health, testosterone levels, and prostate cancer screening. Urologists don't typically deal in life and death, although there are life-threatening urological emergencies that involve obstructions and traumas in the urinary tract and reproductive organs. Like all specialists, a urologist is ultimately a doctor you hope you'll never have to see. This appointment certainly started routinely. Gemma, the medical assistant, checked his weight and blood pressure, asked him how he was feeling, and updated his charts. Throughout, she noted Elkus was, quote, quiet, calm, and expressionless. Nothing wrong with that, though she did find it odd when he removed three different jackets. But maybe he was just cold. It wouldn't be unheard of, if the patient suffered from a hormonal or circulation issue. Gemma told Elkus the doctor would see him shortly, and, as she recalled, Elkus simply smiled at her. A few minutes later, Dr. Gilbert headed into exam room number two for his next appointment. The graying 52-year-old was a family man known for his sharp wit and friendly nature. It's likely his smile was genuine as he greeted Stanwood Elkus and closed the door for privacy. Elsewhere in the office, 
Gemma, Lisa, and Dr. Gilbert's fellow urologist, Dr. Halivas, continued helping other patients when multiple gunshots rang out. Bangs muffled by the doors and walls. Alarmed, Gemma hurried to the door, knocking and asking if all was okay. Despite her mounting fears, the patient had a right to privacy. She waited for an answer to her knock. The door opened slowly. Meanwhile, Dr. Halivas hurried down the hallway, equally disturbed. The door fully opened, revealing a blood-stained Stanwood Elkus. Behind him, Dr. Gilbert splayed on the floor, bullet wounds in his chest and neck. Blood flowed from Dr. Gilbert's body and splattered the room around him. Still holding the gun, Elkus spoke. I am insane. Call the police. I am insane. As Gemma yelled for a 911 call, Dr. Halivas commanded Elkus to hand him the gun. Elkus held it tight. He still had the power here. Dr. Halivas repeated himself. He needed the gun and the bag too. Elkus's hands moved over the gun and he handed it and his bag to Dr. Halivas. Situation diffused, Dr. Halivas escorted Elkus out of the crime scene. Building security arrived and Halivas placed Elkus in their custody while he raced back to exam room two. He was no ER doctor, but that wouldn't stop him from trying to save his bleeding friend. At a glance, Dr. Gilbert suffered over a dozen bullet wounds. Kneeling on the floor, Dr. Halivas immediately began life-saving measures. This is a worst-case scenario, Alistair. The first thing to do here would be to immediately call the paramedics and try to stop any overt bleeding. It would be difficult in this situation because of the multiple bullet wounds, but you'd have to at least try to locate and apply pressure to them. This attempt at minimizing blood loss would need to be accompanied by CPR chest compressions, which would help direct blood circulation to the brain and other vital organs. In the case of Dr. Gilbert, though, considering the amount of trauma his body sustained, I think I'd sadly find myself declaring him dead relatively quickly. Faced with the undeniable, that's exactly what Dr. Halivas did. Meanwhile, the doctor's office went on an internal lockdown, all remaining appointments that day canceled. Another doctor in the building described calling his patients in a state of shock. He struggled to wrap his mind around the tragedy, venting, you're killing people who are healing people. What's next? He hit on something important. Dr. Gilbert's murder was senseless and cruel. Here was a man who dedicated his life to keeping others alive. He should have been extended the same courtesy. When the police arrived at around 2.50 p.m., they beelined for Elkus. He was the only suspect, and he admitted it, saying, ever seen a 75-year-old murderer before? The officers did not find it amusing. And though it was clear Elkus killed Gilbert, it wasn't clear why. Elkus said he was 
just crazy. And oddly, the doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers in the building didn't recognize him. Like Lisa, the surgery coordinator, no one recalled Elkus being a patient of Dr. Gilbert's. There was no record of him on file at the practice or even back at Hogue Hospital when Dr. Gilbert had previously been the chief urologist. As far as Dr. Gilbert's friends and family knew, Stanwood Elkus and Dr. Ron Gilbert had never even met. But no one makes an appointment six days in advance to shoot a stranger ten times. The crime was planned, premeditated. Elkus shot at a close range. The bullets had so much force, they passed through Dr. Gilbert's body and lodged in the exam room wall. That's intentional. And the autopsy proved that Elkus kept shooting after Gilbert collapsed what criminal psychologists call overkill. Overkill is most often motivated by strong emotion like anger or revenge. There had to be a motive. Coming up, the police dig for answers in decades-old medical records. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The murder of Dr. Ron Gilbert on January 28, 2013, seemed utterly random to the crime scene investigators. His killer had no criminal history, and as far as they could tell, Dr. Gilbert had no enemies. Friends and patients recalled him as a caring physician and loving father, always in the stands at his son's sporting events. Between work and kids' sports, Gilbert joined daily prayers at his nearby Chabad, he was devoutly Jewish, even sending his college-aged son to spend a year studying at a yeshiva in Israel. And somehow, in the midst of it all, Dr. Gilbert had found time to co-found a pharmaceutical company. The day before his murder, 
Dr. Gilbert and his business partner received an offer to buy the company for $30 million. While anyone would gawk at that amount of money, for Gilbert, it represented opportunities to focus on what mattered most, his family and his faith. Opportunities Stan Elkus stole from him. As details came out about Dr. Gilbert's death, media outlets and Newport Beach locals glommed onto the story, mining for answers. The murder could have been spurred by the multi-million dollar business, or it could have been a hate crime. But as Stanwood Elkus told the police, neither was true. Later, on January 28th, Elkus made a confession. The answer, he said, was in his medical records from 1992. Though Elkus struggled with holding his bladder, he'd been holding in his anger for 20 years. In the summer of 1992, 54-year-old Stanwood Elkus walked into the Long Beach Veterans Affairs Hospital complaining of frequent urination. In the hospital's opinion, he was coming in for treatment too frequently. Elkus served in the Marine Corps for a total of five months back in 1956, but ever since, he'd taken full advantage of veteran healthcare services. He may have been a bit of a hypochondriac, and he was certainly someone who went to the doctor expecting a miracle cure. On this particular day in 1992, Elkus learned he'd have his exam with a new resident. He was a former stockbroker who'd followed his father's footsteps and gone to medical school. He'd sung in a rock band, and now he frequently came into the hospital on his weekends off to play piano. Armed with music and a sense of humor, this doctor knew how to lift patients' spirits. His name was Dr. Ron Gilbert. Dr. Gilbert began by updating Elkus's paperwork. Then he performed a typical exam, first asking what Elkus's symptoms were. Elkus explained his concerns about urinary problems. Frequent urination can be a really annoying, embarrassing, and debilitating problem for people to deal with, but it's not life-threatening, unless it's happening in someone whose health is already compromised. This is because constant peeing can lead to electrolyte depletion and imbalances and can cause dehydration. However, this is something that can be treated with fluids while the underlying cause can be investigated. One thing excessive urination can represent is diabetes, which can signal an impending diabetic coma. This persistent fluid loss is a way for the body to rid itself of excess glucose or blood sugar. These repetitive bathroom breaks may also indicate a urinary tract infection, a pelvic tumor, or an enlarged prostate. To summarize all this, establishing the cause of the irregular urination is the most effective treatment tool, and it's the surest way to prevent further shame and restore any lost dignity. And in 1992, Dr. Gilbert was eager to help Stanwood Elkus get his dignity back. After some examinations, he allegedly determined that Elkus was never able to fully empty his bladder, leading to his frequent urge to urinate. Then, after consulting with a few other doctors, Dr. Gilbert made his diagnosis, a urethral stricture. 
In simplest terms, imagine the difference between drinking through a straw and a coffee stirrer. Elkis's urethra was closer to a coffee stirrer, making it much harder for liquid to pass through. Luckily, Dr. Gilbert had a surgical solution that could turn a coffee stirrer into a straw. He most likely performed what's called a urethroplasty. It's a routine operation, so after the surgery, he expected Elkis to regain normal quality of life. Even better, it's typically an outpatient procedure, so he could recover in the comfort of his own home. However, Elkis balked at the idea of surgery, especially in such a delicate region. Even though he was a frequent hospital visitor, going under the knife scared him. Anxiety roiled in his mind. Soon, Elkis grew convinced the operation would kill him. He was so nervous, the hospital assigned him a social worker for pre-surgical counseling. It's completely normal to have some level of anxiety before surgery. Pre-surgical counseling isn't uncommon, and a particularly anxious patient's primary care physician might even recommend it when clearing a patient for their operation. Any procedure can be nerve-wracking, but we tend to see it more when it's involving vital or physically sensitive anatomy, like the eyes, brain, or one's private parts. It's understandable that Elkis was nervous about having surgery down in that region, but he likely wouldn't have been much happier about his alternatives. If surgery's off the table, ongoing urethral strictures require catheterization or a rarely performed stent implantation. Both of these options are really uncomfortable and can lead to infection, requiring very close monitoring. A patient has the right to choose any treatment option they want, but as a doctor, you have to be clear about how effective and compromising each one is. After counseling, Stanwood Elkus chose to proceed with Dr. Gilbert's treatment recommendation. In late August 1992, he returned to the Long Beach VA hospital for his surgery. Two experienced surgeons performed the operation. Notably, Dr. Gilbert was not present. After the surgery, Elkis appeared perfectly fine, but he insisted he needed to be monitored. Refusing to go home, he racked up several days of taxpayer-funded hospital bills. Eventually, the doctors and nurses convinced Elkis to agree to a discharge with instructions to keep his Foley catheter in for at least two weeks. After the surgery, Dr. Gilbert didn't treat Stanwood Elkis again. He completed his residency, became a urologist, and rose through the hospital ranks to chief urologist at Hogue Hospital before joining a private practice. Eventually, he started his company, Absorption Pharmaceuticals. The startup only sold one drug, but business exploded. The drug, Promescent, was a quick-absorbing lidocaine spray designed to help men who suffered from premature ejaculation. Its tagline? Make love longer. Gilbert's own life was full of love. Outside work, he married and had two children. But while Dr. Gilbert's fortunes only went up over 20 years, Stanwood Elkis's life seemed permanently limp. Despite his surgeons telling him the operation went well, 
he didn't heal properly. Throughout the 90s, he suffered from incontinence, low sex drive, and erectile dysfunction. In his perspective, the surgery hadn't healed him. It made his problems worse. He no longer felt comfortable working or socializing normally since he almost constantly needed to use the bathroom. And while a pair of Depends underwear could solve some of Elkis's problems, they couldn't fix all of them. At some point after the surgery, his girlfriend broke up with him. And in the wake of his devastation, he realized he'd never have children. Ignoring the fact that he was a man nearing 60, Elkus pinned the blame for all of his problems on his 1992 surgery. Unfortunately for Elkus, by the time he decided to do something about his symptoms, he'd passed the statute of limitations to sue for malpractice. He filed a claim for damages against the VA, and after some back and forth, they granted him a monthly veteran's disability payment. But apparently, the money wasn't enough. Elkus wanted an apology. This surgery ruined his life. With no apology delivered, Elkus continued to ruminate for years. One can imagine the constant frustration and anxiety brought on by incontinence. He'd lost control over his body, let alone his capacity to lead a normal life. The pent-up anger over his damaged urethra consumed him. It held complete power over his thoughts. You do feel for Elkis here. His condition was really impacting his life and was seemingly taking a toll on his mental health as well. Botched surgeries are problematic for a number of reasons, one being that it's often really hard to get legal representation and financial compensation. From a medical perspective, the best remedy for a bungled surgery involves exploring solutions or corrective procedures offered by other competent specialists. It's also not unusual for patients to vent their frustrations about failed operations, especially to their primary care doctors. They'll even occasionally be so overwhelmed that they lash out or misplace their feelings like Elkis did. Often there are some viable options you can offer, but in most instances, the best a physician can do is listen and offer sympathy. However, this shouldn't be underestimated. Kindness in a good bedside manner can go a long way. As the years went on, Elkus continued to seek help, but he wasn't content with sympathy or kindness. He seemed convinced there was a doctor out there who could cure him completely. When doctors confessed they didn't have that power, Elkus allegedly wrote that he wanted to see them dead. And then he'd go to see yet another doctor. Forget a second opinion, he seemed to want every opinion in the world until he heard one that matched the tenor of his rage and frustration. At some point, a doctor examined Elkus and suggested he may have been misdiagnosed initially and didn't need the surgery in the first place. This sent Elkus into spiraling indignation. If he'd never gotten the surgery, he never would have healed improperly. He could have fixed his urinary problems without suffering erectile dysfunction. He could have saved his failed relationship. He could have been a father. As he spiraled, Elkus began circling a target. 
The man at the center of all of his problems. The man who told him he needed the surgery. Dr. Ron Gilbert. Never mind that Dr. Gilbert hadn't performed the surgery, or that Elkus hadn't seen him in over a decade. In his mind, his fateful appointment with Dr. Gilbert was the moment it all went south. And in 2010, 18 years after their brief encounter, Stanwood Elkus began plotting his revenge. He found out where Ron Gilbert worked. He set up a trust to transfer his assets to his sister in case of his death or incarceration. And he bought a gun. He no longer cared about anything other than revenge for his botched surgery. But what Stanwood Elkus refused to acknowledge was one simple fact. His surgery wasn't botched. According to court and hospital records, the 1992 surgery went smoothly. Within a few days of his discharge, Elkus returned to the hospital. He seemed fine. Everything was healing nicely. Still, he insisted doctors remove his catheter. The doctors counseled him to keep it in. He wasn't fully healed yet. If they took out the catheter now, it could cause permanent damage. Removal would be against the advice of his medical team. Elkus refused to back down. He had the power over his own body and he needed his catheter removed. As he said, he could not tolerate it. It had to happen. Catheters are no fun, but they are a medical necessity at times. Stanwood needed to keep his Foley catheter in place because his urethra and its surrounding tissue were still recovering from his surgery. Without the catheter, inflammation would gradually cause his urethra to close down, actually making it narrower than it had been before. This would have created adverse short and long-term effects, and although it was Stanwood's choice, he effectually worsened the condition that he went under the knife for in the first place. As a doctor, you must let the patient do what they want. There's no force, only guidance. I've actually experienced this in my own practice, like when patients choose alternative and less proven cancer treatments instead of conventional and scientifically vetted therapies. I've personally never seen this scenario play out well, but as a physician, all I can do is counsel my patients based on my training and experience while respecting their right to direct their own care. Going back to our story though, removing the catheter early would compromise and even negate the benefits of Stanwood's surgery. Eventually, the doctors bowed to Elkis's demand they removed the catheter early. Though there's no public record of which doctor removed the catheter, we do know it wasn't Dr. Ron Gilbert. As the investigators realized in 2013, this wasn't a case of revenge. This was a case of arrogance. As detectives continued interviewing doctors and digging through medical records, the details grew clearer. The VA hospital wouldn't deliver an apology because their doctors had done nothing wrong. Elkus had refused their help, choosing to ignore their post-operative directions. 
the only person Stanwood Elkus had to blame was himself. Tragically, no one could get that through his head before he murdered Dr. Gilbert. Coming up, armed with the truth, the Gilbert family seeks justice. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. By 2017, four years after Dr. Ron Gilbert's murder in Newport Beach, California, the prosecution took Stanwood Elkus to court. Their case was clear. Elkus had refused to accept his own culpability for his improperly healed urethra and scapegoated innocent Dr. Gilbert as the source of his suffering. And though Elkus was clearly the shooter, the trial wouldn't be easy. The defendant had seemingly perfected the victim act. In the four years he was held without bail, Elkus made a show of asking for more layers of clothing for his poor circulation and flonase for his sinus issues. When the 79-year-old arrived in court in late July 2017, he sat in a wheelchair and wore headphones attached to a hearing aid. Bold, wrinkly and frail, he projected the exact image he wanted the jury to see, an aging man who should be sent to a hospital. It all played into Elkus's plea, not guilty by reason of insanity. Rather than a single diagnosis to justify Elkus's claim of insanity, the defense made a series of unusual medical claims. As I cover each one, Dr. Kipper will give us a fact check. First, the defense claimed Elkus suffered psychotic depression. Psychotic depression is a subtype of clinical depression, so the two can sometimes appear similar. The difference is that on top of depressive symptoms, a psychotic depression involves psychotic behaviors like delusions, inescapable thought patterns, and hallucinations. This is definitely a condition that can lead to murder in extreme cases, as the symptoms can be highly aggressive and cause people to lash out in violence. It'll be interesting to consider this in conjunction with the lawyer's other arguments. Next, the defense reportedly said Elka spent 21 years on Valium, which caused aggressiveness in older people. Valium's an interesting one because it relaxes smooth muscles like the urethra, which to be clear is the tube that carries urine from your bladder to the toilet. When it comes to Valium and aggression, I've personally never seen this side effect. However, there's a definite link because Valiums of benzodiazepine, a type of drug that disinhibits and can unleash hostile tendencies. It's totally possible that Valium was a factor in this crime, but maybe not in the way the defense claimed. And at the time of the murder, he was on antidepressants, which the defense claimed lowered Stanwood Elkus's inhibitions. This one is based in reality. It's true that antidepressants can have an impact on the way someone behaves. 
It's one of the reasons this group of medications is prescribed for social anxiety. There are actually times when certain antidepressants don't agree well with the patient's system because they work on different transmitter systems, which can make them feel noticeably uncomfortable or agitated. I suppose it wouldn't be completely out of the question that Stanwood psych meds contributed to the crime, but it's pretty unlikely and probably wouldn't be the best selling point. The overwhelming majority of people on antidepressants are not murderers, and in singularity, the argument doesn't really prop up the insanity plea very well. After pharmaceuticals, the defense claimed Elkus had dementia. His deterioration had advanced to the point where his cognition and mental processing was worse than 99% of 79-year-olds. Apparently, his brain degeneration was so much worse than average due to a bout of childhood polio. To prove this, a lawyer pulled up results from PET scans of Elkus's brain, supposedly demonstrating neurological damage. Bringing a medical document like a brain scan into a courtroom would definitely be compelling, and it certainly isn't something that could be faked with experts present. There's also a possibility that Stanwood's childhood polio did in fact create some visible irregularities in the scan. Autopsies on polio victims have shown long-term material damage in areas like the brainstem and motor cortex. Stanwood's defense team may have been banking on this. It was definitely a manipulative tactic that could have had an effect on a jury. Elkus didn't seem to care how insulting his own defense was. During the trial, his defense team brought up a tape he previously recorded. It documented Elkus's ex-girlfriend complaining about his performance in the bedroom. At another point, he attempted to act as his own defense, trying to address the jury off the cuff. His lawyers quickly shut that down. Then, they landed their closing argument. Mr. Elkus is not playing with a full deck. But their claim was undermined by Elkus's own interjections. His statements came off as annoying and self-centered. His attempt to defend himself may have endangered his entire act because the jury deemed it just that, an act. Stanwood Elkus was found sane and mentally capable at the time he murdered Dr. Ron Gilbert. In August 2017, the jury found him guilty of murder, lying in wait, and use of a firearm. Before the sentencing, on September 15th, the Gilbert family finally had a chance to address the man who stole their husband, father, and brother from them. But as a family member spoke, Elkus reached for his head and removed the headphones attached to the hearing aids the court had provided him. Even after his conviction, Elkus remained stubborn and arrogant, refusing to accept that he'd been in the wrong and refusing to cede powers to others. As Dr. Gilbert's brother Glenn said on the stand, if Elkus wanted to kill the person responsible for this, he should have just looked in the mirror and shot himself. Glenn Gilbert's anguish fell on literal deaf ears. However, Elkus did replace his headphones when the judge began to deliver his sentence. He received life 
plus 10 years without the possibility of parole, which ensured the 79-year-old would die in prison. The criminal conviction wasn't his only punishment. The Gilberts succeeded in a civil wrongful death lawsuit where Elkus was also found guilty. This forced Elkus to sell the property he'd attempted to transfer to his sister and delivered roughly $2 million in payment to the Gilberts. Still, it was nothing when compared to the loss of Dr. Gilbert. Today, Dr. Ron Gilbert's legacy lives on in his two grown sons and in the drug he patented, Promescent, which still sells online. While he lived a rich, unique life, Dr. Gilbert's story doesn't stand alone in the medical field. Between 1999 and 2013, at least four urologists were attacked by patients. Just months after Dr. Gilbert's death in 2013, another urologist was killed by a patient. Allegedly, the killer was upset about their vasectomy. That's tragic to hear, Alistair. You know, despite urology being a testosterone-driven specialty, it's a misconception that the field only involves men. Anyone can succumb to kidney stones, bladder disorders, and urinary tract infections, and women actually account for a significant percentage of American urology patients. However, in speaking to your point, there can definitely be powerful psychological and biological issues that come up for male urology patients, and all of that is understandable. For this reason, I guess it could be argued that these practitioners are in more danger of encountering disgruntled patients than many other specialists, but in general, psychiatrists and other mental health professionals are the most at risk of physical assault and threats of violence. It's odd, I don't recall hearing about this case, despite how close the crime scene is to where I practice. This was a horrific crime, and it's horrible to think about all Dr. Gilbert left behind. These attacks were inexcusable and downright evil. Stan Wood Elkus was an arrogant, bullheaded man. When he felt impotent, he couldn't move on or let it go. To take power back, he went to deadly lengths. But his story shows that attempts to overpower others are never lasting. In his power grab, Stan Wood Elkus surrendered everything his assets, his remaining years alive, and his dignity. And that's something no operation can restore. Next week on Medical Murders, we'll continue our four-part series on killer patients. The next crime also revolves around a surgery, but this time on another vital organ, the brain. Thanks for listening to Medical Murders, and thanks again to Dr. Kipper for joining me today. Thank you so much, Alistair, for having me. For more information, among the many sources we used, we found coverage by City News Service, The Los Angeles Times, and the text of People v. Elkus, extremely helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Medical Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Medical Murders was written by Maggie Admire, with writing assistance by Lauren DeLille, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Chelsea Wood. Medical Murders stars Dr. David Kipper and Alastair Murden. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. 